Welcome to the I Feel You podcast, a show all about mental health, race, love, and all things life. One conversation at a time with human therapists. Adriana Martinez. Lena Nicodemus. And dope guests from different places and spaces. This is not a substitute for counseling with a licensed professional. Just the coolest waiting room you've ever been to. Hi, welcome back to the I Feel You podcast. My name is Adriana. And I'm Lena. And we are in the waiting room with Dr. Lori Watson. Uh, Dr. Lori Watson grew up in Greenville, Mississippi, where she was profoundly influenced by the leaders and educators in her family. Her father was the first Black notary public, as well as proprietor of the first, quote-unquote, Negro-owned commercial laundry in the state of Mississippi. Her uncle was the first Black man to receive a PhD from the University of Alabama. As a result, Lori learned the value of pride and perseverance, and through the nurturing of her mother and aunt, who were both teachers, she, earned, she learned the importance of education. After high school, Lori received her BA in Health and Physical Education from Tougaloo College, a historically Black college in Tougaloo, Mississippi. There she was a captain of the women's basketball team and pledged Delta Sigma Theta sorority. She received a Master's of Education in Health, Physical Education, and Recreation from Jackson State University, another historically Black college. In 2012, Lori earned her Doctor of Education and Leadership from Cal State East Bay in Hayward, California. Her doctoral dissertation topic was, wow, they care, right? Making schools safe for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning students. During her 20 plus years as an educator, Lori was a teacher, basketball coach, and school administrator at both the elementary and secondary levels. Most recently, Lori worked as an equity transformation specialist with, a, with Courageous Conversation, a consulting agency committed to achieving racial equity. She coached and facilitated nationwide, helping individuals and organizations to uncover personal and institutional biases in order to elevate racial and con racial consciousness and move towards systemic racial equity transformation. In addition to the company curriculum that Lori facilitated, she also developed seminars that were meaningful to her. Because she enters this work from an intersectional perspective, she created Trust Me, Gay is Not the New Black, which addresses navigating at the intersection of race and sexuality. She also created Black Girls Matter Too, which provided an in-depth look at the pathology of living Black and female in America. Lori resides in Oakland, California, where she has lived for over 15 years. Welcome, Lori. Thank you. Thank you, Adriana. Thank you so much for having me, you and Lena. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're so happy to have you. Yeah, that's, quite a, that's quite a bio. I'm like, Shit, uh, I forgot everything I was going to ask you about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I was reading it, I was like, dang, that's my friend. <laughs> like, I was like, Impressive. that's cool. That, I'm Man. super honored to be your friend. Yeah, we always have really uh, great conversations, Lori, ever since. I think the day that I met you, I met I you know. at one of your, one of the courageous conversation, uh, I guess, what was it, day one? Day one of yeah. the Beyond Diversity program? Yeah, one of the first seminars, and I think we just kind of hit it off right then when we started. 
Um, yeah, I think you just knew because like there were five people of color in the audience and like <laughs> 60 white people. <laughs> so you can... Life, which is my life all the time, which is my life. Yeah. That's my purpose in life to, uh, someone said that I was the white whisperer. <laughs> you rocked it I mean you can hold a room like it means pretty impressive what you do um Lori I do remember what I remember you first talking about one I think you're also just such a such a warm presence and you just the use of humor like just really lets people's guard down I think you had just bought a home at the time mm-hmm. And you were like, you know, I moved into West Oakland and that you were a gentrifier. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I'm a black gentrifier. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny. <laughs> it's true, it's true. But, you know, I, I, I think the, the thing about when you name hold in the room, I, people always ask me, what do I do to impact people in such a positive way and I don't know what to say I think I just show up as me and what I try and do is show up as authentic as I can and just really you know I talk about myself and I think people connect with that and it's it's not a show I'm not showing up now all of a sudden I'm not Lori I'm Dr. Watson I still engage in the work as Lori and uh, what you see is what you get. And, and the other part about it is I love this work that I do. I think part of my purpose, you know, I always ask people to think of their why when they're doing this work. And I think my why is to really move people toward elevated personal racial consciousness. And I think that's my contribution to the world. And so, um, it's important to me. So yeah, and and I do this work now from home in my gentrified home (laughs) in West Oakland, Uh, but really loving being a part of this community. And uh, I'm just glad I'm here, definitely. And was able to buy a house in Oakland. That's the other thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it took me 15 years to wrap my head around the prices of buying a, a home in Oakland, especially coming from the South, where my three bedroom, two bath house with the swimming pool cost me $105,000. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when you say it's so hard when that people talk little. about, totally. I think when people say anything less than, you know, 300000 and for something that would be like mansion like i'm like where what am i doing what am i even doing <laughs> exactly. exactly but uh, yet here i am because i can't i can't i can't leave love i don't know why bay. yeah love yeah. in the bay yeah yeah so, i i just yeah i i think it's really cool to hear you say that you're coming at it from such a personal place because like you know adriana and i talk about every week is you know, our work is personal. I can't avoid that, you know, and to a large degree, like our personal connection with it is, you know, what really drives us in it. Right. And so, yeah, I think, um, 
I also am just kind of curious too about like to to dig into more kind of what also maybe informs your your work like you know the um you know and to like learn more about like what your work looks like you know mm-hmm. um now the work you do now because I you know learned a little bit from Adriana about like the work you did in the past but now we talked a little bit about it when we met last time but right. what does it look like now aside from fending off Karen's on social media <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely definitely and and that was just as I was starting my business too so that was quite um that was quite interesting I, I tell you that well well I'll, I'll go back to the the work before we get into that, if we get into that. But um, I think it's exactly what you named when you said both you and Adriana entered this from that personal place. And that's where I try to take people. You can't do this work if you don't understand your why and really have a a deep-seated personal understanding of why you're engaging. And I think about you know, this summer after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and everybody's running out to buy Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And everybody wants to know, what is it that I need to do? You know, what are the tools? Give me the strategies. And even if you get some tools and strategies, but you're not clear about who you are in this work, you will still engage and do some harm to people of color. And so it's so important as white people and even people of color to do their own personal work. What does this mean for me? And what are my own personal biases and beliefs when it comes to race? Because we all get conditioned in this racist society. None of us are immune to it. You know, as a black, as a black woman, I still get messages about what it means to be black. And there are some times where, you know, when you're inundated with these messages so much that there are parts of you that start to believe these messages. And so you always feel like you're fighting against or working against these stereotypes and these meanings that have been attached to you as a Black person. And it gets exhausting and you you find yourself in a state of fatigue because you're always trying to work against these images that people have uh, uh, about you. And so um, it's a it's an ongoing ongoing task. And so when I'm working with people in groups, you know, it's about really starting to dig into although you say you're showing up as this person who believes that racism is wrong, but how have you been socialized around race? And Mm -hmm. all of that plays a role in shaping your beliefs and ideas about race. And so you need to dig into those beliefs and really surface them to see what they are. Because if you don't, they're gonna show up somewhere down the line as you engage. And so my work is usually with, you know, I work with school districts, I work with um, corporate, I've done some nonprofit work, 
you know, even like a, a doctor's office, different things like that. Mm -hmm. And so, but it all begins with the personal. So no matter what kind of organization it is, it's all starting with who are you as as an individual when it comes to this work. And as I'm sure you recognize, people show up in all different places. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some who are quite racially conscious. There are some who get so uncomfortable just to be in that space and say the word race because there's been such, um, you know, race has been a taboo subject that we're not supposed to talk about race. We're not supposed to notice race. And so just really my work becomes around how do you get comfortable talking about race? How do you develop some tools to engage? And then how do you use these tools to really start to recognize how patterns of, you know, domination and oppression are showing up in your organization? And then what is it that you need to do to interrupt that? Mm -hmm. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, when as you're talking, Lori, I'm thinking about my personal experience maybe in, over the last, you know, three to five years, but um, really having this, you know, deeper understanding of who I am as a Latina um, a woman uh, who's lighter skin, right? And I do, I do think that we didn't really have a lot of conversations about race growing up, you know, in my family. Um, and I, I mean, I just think about like what is coming up for folks sometimes. Like for me, it was kind of painful to come to terms with like my own uh, understanding of who I was, how I was showing up for, you know, communities of color, particularly black communities, right? Because I think that there is um, anti-blackness in the Latinx community. And just like, there is this, there was pain, right? Like there were tears because I, and over the last few years and still, right? I'm still on my own journey to, um, to, to understand who I am and to constantly show up to interrupt racism, even at my house, right? Even in my own comfort, you know, um, space where we didn't talk about it and we want to say we're not, and you know, we're not racist. And my dad listens to this podcast, so I'm really conscious right now that he's probably like turning his head a little bit. <laughs> um, but I think my dad's super open about conversations about race and I think he's shown up really different in the last couple of years. Um, and then after Floyd, like, you know, and it's, it's kind of, it's hard, right? It's hard to think like how long it takes sometimes for folks to, to start doing some work, more deep personal work and to really be grounded in our why and like to stay in that why or to like, if it transforms great, but never losing that that right. losing sight of why we do this. Cause I think then we get comfortable, right? Like, Oh, like if we, you know, if we have a black president or if we have a president of color, all of a sudden we're good. Exactly. And I'm not saying that as like, that's how everyone thinks or anything like that. But I know that I, I can fall complacent sometimes when I see some change, but you know, staying connected personally is so important. And as we have a change in office coming up and thinking about how to stay engaged, how to stay grounded, how to stay centered and, you know, in our power to continue moving 
moving forward and not kind of relying on certain folks to to do that for us or for me personally yeah i mean you're you're spot on this this work requires you know i name it as the conscious intentional and deliberate you know intent to stay engaged as people of color and especially as as white people because it would be easy to just disconnect from being in a place of racial consciousness as a white person. Because in this nation, we live in so much racial segregation. And so it would be easy, you know, to just kind of hide out in my very white community with my very white family where most of what I do is in whiteness and not have to think about anybody else's experience until I show up for work and now we're talking about race, so now I have to engage. But but what you also mentioned is also how, you know, anti-blackness shows up in communities of color. And again, it goes back to this idea of how everyone has been conditioned that black is bad, that black is dangerous, that there's a narrative of, you know, this is, this is threatening and we need to stay away from that and we don't want to identify with that. I mean, it's so strong that even when you see people from Africa who migrate here, who don't want to be associated with African Americans because there is a, you know, this idea about who we are as, as black Americans in this country. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm clear about that. And so, yeah, you see it in the Latinx community, you see it in the Asian community. And, and what you also notice is how colorism plays out within those communities. And when we talk about this, at this aspect of privilege, of white privilege, you know, that shows up within communities and where those who are lighter skinned in certain communities, communities of color, have more privilege than those who are darker skinned. And so, you know, it's all about this concept of whiteness. And, you know, we live in a white supremacist society. And oftentimes when I say white supremacist, people are like, oh, white supremacist, because they go automatically <laughs> to, you know, the Klan and the alt-right and all of this. But basically what I'm getting at is that our society is normed in white supremacy and that white reigns supreme. Mm -hmm. And so it's always, you know, you think about just how we use words, you know, you're, you're black bald, you're black male, you're black listed, you know, the evil characters in cartoons are, are, are in black or dark mm -hmm. and the hero rides in on the white horse, you know, in the white hat. <laughs> You know, you can tell a lie and it's okay as long as it's just a little white lie. Mm. <laughs> you know? And so white is purity, you know, all of these. Mm. And so we attach all of this to skin color. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, you know, there's this, this aspect of anti-blackness that shows up. And that's why I say we have to do our own work constantly or we fall right into that. Mm -hmm. We fall right into it. And, and the other thing you mentioned is it doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's what I hope to do in my work is 
help facilitate people along their journey toward, you know, this aspect of racial consciousness. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I, I was just thinking about um, when you're talking about the, the way we attach all these different things to skin color. Um, and I've just been thinking about that lately because there was, I know I always bring up TikTok every episode, Adriana, but <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to get a TikTok. I, I'm still trying to figure out my handle. It's got to be cool for Emma to accept. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I'm, so don't worry. I'm going to start talking about TikTok and saying really weird terms that probably aren't TikTok related. But yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah, go yeah. for it. Keep going. But uh, there's you. this, I found this TikTok series that this one TikToker created that's like, is this a black woman or an aggressively tan white woman? And she'll like have a picture of someone and cover the face and be like, is it a black person or, Oh, you guessed it. It's a white person. And there's like Mm -hmm. this whole, especially like, you know, where I'm from, you know, there's so much into like tanning and, you know, getting darker skin. And I've just been thinking about that lately too, because Ariana Grande came out with a new album. And while I love her music, I feel really complicated about how she's you know essentially been like more and more blackfishing and like trying to present as a person of color um because of just like the exotification of that Mm -hmm. and it's just it's it's so confusing and, and you know how we essentially are you know white people are trying so much to be like in the club quote right you know but with all the privilege still right right and yeah yeah i mean we see that show up all the time you know this idea of appropriation of of culture and 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 color you know because it's cool to go get tan and be as dark as i can but like you're saying but i still have the privileges of being white and mm-hmm. so I want this piece of it, but don't give me the hassle that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that definitely plays out in, in so many ways. And I was doing one seminar, I think Adriana mentioned it around um, black girls and how there's just this this disparity in in their schooling experience. And one of the parts of that seminar I was talking about was hair. And Mm -hmm. just, you know, how many black girls across the country were being suspended and expelled because of just their natural hair, the way the hair grows out of your head. Mm -hmm. Yet, in contrast to that, there were these images of white girls and we can just talk about the Kardashians Mm -hmm. with the cornrows and Mm -hmm. all of these, you know, Bantu knots and everything that is culturally African, Mm -hmm. yet now it becomes in vogue, it's it's style. Mm -hmm. And so there was even one article I wanna say was it Salma Hayek? I don't know who it was, but anyway, it was, you too can have an Afro. And I'm just like, for real? Oh my God. <laughs> As Emma would say, cringe. Like, <laughs> I'm, 
She, yeah. she also doesn't like when I use that word, but yeah, it's like cringy. <laughs> right, right. It's trendy then, but if you know, think about uh, Miley Cyrus and twerking. Mm-hmm. You know, that's been a dance that's been for generational, and it was disgusting and vulgar until Miley did it on stage, and then mm-hmm. now everybody's talking about twerking like this is something brand new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But that's, that's what's always happened historically when, when, and that goes to this idea of when you talk about critical race theory, which is, you know, a bad word now since an executive order was signed that says you can't talk about critical race theory but it just goes to the tenant of whiteness as property. And so, you know, when whiteness takes hold of something, you know, there's a privilege in it, there's a benefit in it, it becomes more valuable. You know, it has these exclusive rights. And so when whiteness grabbed hold of these hairstyles or whatever it is, now it becomes exclusive. There's a a benefit, a privilege to it that's unlike when people of color are, you know, doing the exact same thing. And again, that's, that's what racism looks like. Yeah. I, I'm just kind of thinking about, um, growing up, I don't remember being so, uh, aware and that's probably just my own experience. Um, I feel like now, Every every day I wake up and there's something that happens that I can point to like racism or I can point to colorism or I can point to privilege like and so I don't know maybe that's a good thing being on my journey but also it's very frustrating right because then I I kind of I feel I feel a lot on a daily basis around around this I'm actually um, so I'm I'm single but dating. And I find that when I meet someone, I always like end up talking about race because it's so important to me and it just depends on who I'm dating or who I'm meeting or whatever. What I find is that I, I now know like I have this specific value and this and, and how I align with, um, with the work, the race work. And, and I, I can't, I can't have certain conversations with people. And it's just interesting to see how people show up with conversations around race, whether they're uncomfortable, whether they lean into it, whether they go what I call like 1990s, like they just start saying things that we just shouldn't be saying anymore, like, or we should have never said, but we were, but it kind of was, you know, what people would say in order to, to claim not being racist. Um, you know, like this idea of not seeing color or like we're all human or like, you know, the, and those things just like make me like, um, just make me like wonder more about, and this is like Bay Area, right? And so um, I don't know, I guess I'm just thinking about how this is such a day-to-day experience for me personally now and how I, it wasn't in the past. And that was just maybe my lack of consciousness around race and or maybe my own privilege, um, you know, uh, depending on where I was living at and just also even my own skin color and being like lighter skin and not being as affected in some ways until I showed up in spaces and I was like targeted for like, you know, um, looking like, I don't know, I get, I get people sometimes ask me like, where are you? And I'm just like, 
like Latina, they're like, no, but you're like mixed. And I'm like, no, like really though, like I'm not, or they'll be like, yeah, like Persian or something. And I'm like, why are you still going? <laughs> like, right. Why are you still talking right now? Like it is so uncomfortable in some spaces where like, it's clear that I'm Latina and in spaces where it's, it's not clear. And then people must know, like people must put you mm-hmm. in this box, you know? Right. And so I think I am, I'm being more aware of it. I think maybe in the past they have happened, like situations that happened. I just didn't really like, I don't know, maybe I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about it as much. I'm not sure. But now I'm super like, you know, I'll turn my head around real quick and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, that's just been my personal like experience around it. Yeah. I mean, what you're naming is, I, I think you're just definitely more racially conscious now. You know, and especially as you started participating in the work we were doing, you know, you, you start to recognize race more. It becomes like that, you know, once you see something, you can't unsee it anymore. And once you become conscious, you just, you're, you're conscious, you know. And I, I think about what did Baldwin say to be, you know, be conscious and and I'm not going to say it just right, but it's sort of like to be black and conscious in America is to be in a constant state of rage. Mm. And so again, once you start to notice and see these things, it's, it's everywhere. And, you know, I think about one of the exercises that, you know, I used to do with people was around this idea of asking people how much is your life impacted by race? And people would have to score themselves between zero to 100. And, you know, most of my white people would always have these low scores. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people of color would have higher scores. And what it would come down to is this idea that when you say impact and race, people would always go to this negative place and think that I'm not being impacted by racism. Mm. But the question wasn't about racism. It's just about race. How much is my life impacted by race? What are the, you know, what is my life navigating on a daily basis, you know, in this skin that I'm in? And so just trying to get people to recognize that race is always there. It's always impacting all of our lives. And there is a white racial experience that occurs. And so often what I would find from my participants were they only thought about race in terms of people of color. And so race doesn't show up until people of color enter into the, the, the situation. And now there's race. And so they would, they would either think about race doesn't happen until I'm in community with people of color or race becomes racism. Mm-hmm. And so just really trying to get people to, to notice that, you know, we're being impacted by race 100% of the time whenever I show up because, you know, we all have been categorized into these racial boxes like Adriana mentioned. And it drives people crazy when they can't figure out what box to put you in. And mm-hmm. so people like you will get, no, what are you? No, really, what are you? Or where are you from? Because, you know, the, the, these categories have meanings. 
And mm -hmm. so if I can put you in the white box, then, you know, I know what to think about you. If I can put you in the black box, then I know what to think mm -hmm. about you. But everybody who's looking ambiguous like Adriana is, then I'm not quite sure what to do with you or what to think about you. Mm -hmm. And so this is really, you know, bothering me a little bit here. And so it often happens for people, like you mentioned, as a lighter skinned Latina, maybe in your family and, and not having those conversations because you didn't have to think about that negative aspect as much. And what happens with people who are brown or black, a lot of folks just don't want to dwell on that part. And it becomes, you know, what do you have to do to, because we, we adopt these, these, these white ways of thinking, what do you have to do to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and don't, focus on race and racism. Mm -hmm. You know, we're gonna fit, we're gonna fit into this mold of what it takes to be successful. So how can you be more white, quote unquote mm -hmm. white? And how do you show up in these white ways of being? You know, mm -hmm. and so um, the organization that I used to work for talked about whiteness in quotation marks as a color, as a culture, and as a consciousness. And so how do you, you know, in culture behave more white. And what is that that myth of meritocracy? Well, you know, I'm gonna speak a certain way. I'm gonna dress a certain way. I'm gonna wear my hair a certain way. Um, you know, just put your head down and do what it is that you have to do in order to be successful. If you're encountered with microaggressions or, or whatever, you know, you just keep forging, forging on. You know, you don't allow that to detour you from your goal or you're not even sometimes where it shows up in you're not like these other folks that are that share race with us and so it's all of this and all of that is just internalized racism you know because again we've been told that you know maybe you are a a special you know exceptional uh person of color and you don't associate with those people so that doesn't just happen outside of communities of color that happens within communities of color i've had mm -hmm. students tell me who are asian or you know latinx that their parents or grandparents didn't want them to learn the language mm -hmm. because i don't want you to be seen as a certain type of you know asian or latinx a person and so yeah this thing it's 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 something and it's shaping us every day and not just people of color but i think about white people who hold on to these beliefs of superiority or or bias are being impacted <clears throat> excuse me negatively as well because you're holding on to that mm -hmm. you know and and that that takes Nelson Mandela said, people aren't born hating other people because of the color of their skin or their religion or their background. People are taught to hate. And if we can be taught to hate, we can be taught to love. Mm -hmm. For love comes more naturally to the, 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 the human spirit than hate. And so there's effort toward this, this, this other way of looking at people. And so how do we, you know, lean more into this positive way of seeing people? And 
you know, it, it just, but again, it takes effort and work and leaning into humanity, you know, not just the humanity of other people, but my own humanity mm-hmm. and, 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 and stepping outside of my comfort zone, because that's the other thing. So many people are just comfortable with status quo. Mm-hmm. And who's gonna not be my friend anymore if I start to speak up about race? What privileges might I lose if equity becomes a reality? You know, mm-hmm. if in reality this nation's demographic is changing the way they said, and people of color are gonna be the largest number, what does that mean for me as a white person? Mm-hmm. Am I now gonna be treated the way we've treated people of color? There's some real fear showing up. Mm-hmm. you know yeah. yeah 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 i think that's where that uh that you know quote reverse racism concept shows up is you know it's like experiencing a, a microcosm of what people of color have experienced for centuries feels so painful because it like there's that fear wrapped up into it and then there's also that experience of never having had that experience, it's more painful, right? You know, like when a toddler's learning to walk and they fall and, you know, scrape their knee, it's like the end of the world, you know, but me, if I fall and scrape my knee now, I'm like, you know, I've done it before. It's not as big of a deal, right? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, at the same time though, you know, I think um, I appreciate what you said at the beginning about, you know, being a white person who works in communities of color, it's so much more important to do this work because of the unintended harm that we can cause. Um, And that's something that, you know, I've been really just appreciating that's showing up more in, you know, particularly like in the therapy uh, world is people who are really intentionally trying to do that work and I'm seeing like conversations happen on Facebook groups that you know wouldn't be happening five years ago um and it's you know fortunate it's taken this long but here we are it's happening um but it's definitely like I feel sometimes like I haven't done nearly enough work to to be able to work with communities of color and part of that um sometimes I I feel like is maybe you know, this like white guilt that I'm going to try to explain how it's like this white guilt that actually prevents me from having to do the work is to feel guilty about it. Does that make (laughs) sense? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, definitely. And, 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 and that's the thing. I think when, when people show up in a sense of shame or guilt or whatever, then there's almost a paralysis to, to do the work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what I say to nobody that is living right now created this hierarchy. Mm. No one that is living right now who is white holds any responsibility for how we got to where we got to. Now, where I tell people, yeah, where I want you to feel guilty, so to speak, is when you don't act to disrupt what is happening now. This is what needs to happen. You know, we've got to let go this feeling of, you know, because I'm white, I should feel bad. I'm not telling any white person to feel bad. That's Mm -hmm. the last thing I want. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. What I want is for how do we all come together and disrupt these systems of oppression, you know, that, that, that are holding people of color in subordinate positions, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's more so about, you know, let that go, forget all of that. And now what is it that I need to learn? What are the tools that I need to develop in order to show up in a more racially conscious way? And and also what I what I like to offer folks is don't think about this big picture because sometimes people get bogged down in, oh, it's too much, this this what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. But what can I do in my own immediate sphere of influence? How do I create change in my family, my friend circle, my community, where I work? You know, mm -hmm. how do I interrupt things that are showing up there? And if everybody just did that, you know, we could create so much change. But yeah, Lena, let go of that guilt and shame. <laughs> uh -uh, let it go. Let it go. You didn't do any of this. We need to go back about 400 years now. Those folks need to feel guilty. <laughs> but you know, you don't play a role where I want you to go. Use the privilege that you have as a white person, you know, to get more conscious and again, start to disrupt what you're seeing now. And how do we all come together? I mean, here's a superpower right here. We got... Latinx, we got you white, we got me black. How do we all work together across communities to do what needs mm -hmm. to happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That's so important that you just said that, uh, Lori. I got a little bit of chills as you said that because I do think that we're so polarized and everything is so divided right now. And obviously, like, that's not good, right? But I do think that sometimes we, I personally, sometimes I get stuck in my, like, I'm here, you're there. And I think it is because I, I'm kind of a, like, I'm being, I'm in the same environment as, you know, other people. And like, I have my experiences and I get frustrated and then I'm like, fuck it. Like, I, you know what I mean? It's like very much, it's, it's so hard, but I got chills as you said that, because I really, really, really want to get to that place of being, you know, united and being, um, like for me personally, being an ally um, to black communities, to uh, to being a non-black ally, right? Non-black Latinx ally. Right. Um, and what that means for me, like I just, I, I don't want to forget and like step away. And I think I, when I talk to my friends who are white and like they get overwhelmed and like I've talked to them, they're just like, I don't like, I know I want to do something. But I just don't know what to do. It's just like, just don't stop. Whatever you're doing, just don't stop. Like do right. a little bit, do a lot, do whatever you can, mm -hmm. but don't, don't get exhausted because we, I mean, I guess I'm not, can't tell them not to be exhausted, but it's like for people of color, there's not that choice. Right. And right. so like, if you can just stay engaged in whatever way, shape or form, or if like you said, you can step up and interrupt one day, some, you know, something that you see that's happening, that's not right. That's racist. Like that's, 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 big that's huge yeah. you don't know who's watching mm -hmm. you know you don't you know do it as if you don't know like it as if it doesn't matter who's watching like just right. kind of step in when you can and as often as possible and just don't don't stop the momentum because I think that's where that like you said that paralysis comes in and we're mm -hmm. just like that's oh, too much like too many books to read 
too mm-hmm. many protests to go to too many. <laughs> and it's just like, we don't have to do it all. We, that's the thing we're kind of, if we share this responsibility and if, um, white folk, I think really stay engaged and curious and, you know, don't get so overwhelmed by the idea that they have, like, don't be a savior. Like, no, you don't No, Please don't like, right. but, but stay engaged. And, and that's my personal thing too, is because I have had some privilege, which obviously has made me like naive to things that have been happening in my community. Um, that's how I know I have privilege because otherwise I would have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would be like long time ago knowing everything, right? Like about what my experience is and all that stuff. So I, I just kind of, um, I wanted to put that out there as someone who's been exhausted, but also someone who personally has been participating in the division of, uh, you know, these sides, quote unquote sides, um, because of that anger, right? And trying to channel that anger and like frustration and trying to really um, do some personal work so that I can be in community with folks that maybe represent, you know, um, represent an idea that in the past for me has been hard to um, engage with, right? So Mm -hmm. like, personally, like white men trigger me, white older men really trigger me, right? Mm -hmm. Are all white older men bad? No, of course not. But that's my personal work, right? Is to not be, uh, not to generalize, but also to understand like where that's coming up up from me. Um, So yeah, and then just to kind of go back, um, Lori, like you said something that really resonated with me. Um, this idea that, quote unquote, like whiteness equals success, um, you know, the, what what messages sometimes we get. Like I I worked in a community predominantly white, you know where, where I'm talking about, mm-hmm. where I met you. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, call, you know, former colleagues were like, oh, you made it. Like, right. I was just like, and I didn't even say anything kind of like I internalized that. I was like, oh, like I did make it like, you know, like this idea and then putting my daughter in that community for school and then regretting it. And then like going through that big old like process of understanding like why I thought it was truly a good, like a good school was because I had internalized this like white is good. White is better. Right. And so white is right. White is right. Yeah. (laughs) So I think it's so, um, it took me, I mean, then, you know, I met you and I started doing some more work and I was really noticing things at the place where I was working at. And I was like, oh, wow. Like now I can't unsee it. Like you said, like now it just feels so, uh, it feels like I'm more aware, like things were happening to me and around me that were racist and towards me, but I didn't always see it until like, you know, I did my own personal work um, as a right. Latina woman in a predominantly white community, working in a predominantly white community that I didn't live in, right? That I didn't really belong, feel like I belonged in. Right. Um, and just trying to figure out like, like, how do I, you know, I mean, it was hard. It was hard for me to come to terms with the fact that I truly uh, internalized that, that idea of that I had just made it. Um, or that I had been like, now all of a sudden I'm like super successful because of where I was working at. And now my daughter can go into like a good quote unquote good school. And then now I'm like, mm, I'm not <laughs> in that community anymore. And mm-hmm. I put my daughter in a predominantly Latinx uh, school. So I'm, it's like full circle, but it right. took it. I don't know. I don't know. It would have been really hard if I hadn't, you know, started doing some work years ago. And um now we have, you know, you know, Emma, but like we have conversations about race pretty often. And um, it's something them. that, you know, 
Emma is Emma is so cool and kind. <laughs> You know, I, I'm telling you, Emma is Emma is badass. I love Emma, but the, and, and, and and what you named, you know, is exactly what happens. We get this idea of what is the best, you know, and it's always steeped in whiteness. And who and what we have to look at is who gets to decide what is best, mm-hmm. you know. So what is best? These these schools that are in these very, you know, white districts and kids of color are struggling in those schools because their their spirits are being, you know, destroyed on a daily basis because of how they're dealing with kind of what you're naming, Adriana, is when you say people were saying things and maybe you didn't notice, I think that to a certain degree you noticed, but you were so used to just you know, uh, assimilating and just continuing to do what it is that you needed to do. And so oftentimes we get to a place where we just, you know, you hear it and you don't hear it. And somewhere in your spirit, I know it felt those things that were being said. And that eats away at you. And I think that's when you really started to recognize it in Emma and her experience and not wanting her to have that same experience where she starts to feel like something is wrong with her because she's brown. And so mm-hmm. this little girl who is so amazing, imagine if she had had to stay in that situation and all this light and fire she has would have slowly and slowly you know, gotten diminished because mm-hmm. we've seen it in the high school kids, mm-hmm. you know, we hear the pain and the anger that they show up with from their many years of experience having to lose themselves. I remember one student who was a senior who was black and saying she really wanted to go to Howard University, which is a historically black college, but she didn't think she was black enough to go. Mm-hmm. And so I just think about all that she has given up in order to be successful in this district, in order to fit in, and how she lost all of that and didn't feel like she could just be in order to go to this Black university. That's that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost as if I, I talk to parents sometimes who feel like they're still trying to, almost like you, Adriana, trying to figure out, is it worth it? to get this was supposed to be, you know, amazing education or, or not. And, Mm -hmm. and again, we decide that this is what's best, but that's because we hold it up against, you know, these certain measuring sticks and we don't believe that what's happening in another neighborhood is good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about in that district when they were fighting, well, not fighting, but there was the conversation around the books. And the students didn't want those books to be taught anymore because they were reading the N-word aloud all the time. Mm. And But they were being held up as the classics. Mm. Who gets to determine what the classics are? Who gets to, you know, and right. so all and of that. And what's the price to pay, right? Like, right. If even, even if it is a classic, what's the price that kids are paying to have to hear to that word, mm-hmm. you exactly. know, 170 whatever times it is and and whatnot. So I think that's the piece. It's like the price. And that's what I looked at when I was thinking about making a decision. I was like, one, the way this district is teaching my daughter 
is not a way she can learn anyways. Like, mm-hmm. who is it successful for, right? right? And then the idea that there is going to be a price to pay. And personally, like, it was too big for me. Um, or, you know, I thought it would be, I didn't want, I didn't want to, like, take a chance. And I think having her see herself in books, in the curriculum, in teachers and students like was more important and there was one thing she said that was really the the last thing that I needed to hear for me to make a decision we were driving up to my parents house uh and uh you know passing by the high school I used to go to and uh it's like it's on a hill and so all the kids are coming down the hill and like in like you know large large masses of students that are coming down and they're all kids of color like you you would have to like really look to see if there was like a white student in the in the crowd and she's just staring out the window and i'm driving up and we're going slow cuz there's traffic uh because school had just gotten out mm-hmm. and so we're going really slow and she's like looking out and i didn't know what she was thinking i was just kind of like watching her driving watching her then finally i was like what's up emma like what are you what are you thinking and she's like look mom all those kids are in color <laughs> And she's like, it's so beautiful. She's like, it's so beautiful. I love it. And I was just like, oh, like I wanted to just like cry in that moment because she was basically like having a moment of who she was, right? Like she was kind of seeing like, wow, like they look like me, you know, like that's awesome. And that's not what was her experience or what, what she was having that experience at school where kids would like walk up to her and ask her to say things in Spanish. And it's just like, Like she kind of felt proud, right? She was kind of like, yeah, like I'm the only one that speaks Spanish, but you know, (laughs) kids coming up to you because you're like the only one that speaks Spanish on the campus is kind of weird, (laughs) you know? And so like, it's just so interesting or them asking her like, where are you from? And she's like, literally, she's from Hayward. (laughs) Like like she was born in Hayward. They're like, no, no, but where are you from? And she's like, well, I, my mom's Mexican. Like, you know, she's all confused because now she's also questioning whether she has the right answer to give to people who are confused and who need to put her, like you said, in a box in order to make sense of who she is when they don't need to like, it doesn't matter who they think she is, right? She can just be who she is. And I think that was right. the hard part, but that was it. I was like, oh, that's it. Next year, we got we to gotta roll out. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I love that the people were in color. That's, that's Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I think she was like, she was in fourth grade. So it wasn't, I still put her one more year because I, I couldn't leave my job. Um, <laughs> I was stuck. <laughs> Um, but I would, that was, I was like, no, middle school has got to be different. You're definitely going right. to have to do something. But she, she does say, and, and now she kind of says it for fun. Well, she'll be like, I need a, a therapist in color. Cause she's also <laughs> seeing a therapist who was uh, white. And now she's like, uh-huh. I want a therapist in color, mom, in color. I'm just oh. like, <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. And, and the thing is she was, you know, she needed like you said, this idea of being around people who were similar to her, you know, and she was thirsty for it. She was hungry for it. And it makes me think of this quote, you know, Wade Noble's culture is to humans as water is to fish. And, you know, and so she was like a fish out of water and she needed that to, to, to just kind of feed her soul. And, the thing about it is with whiteness is so invisible 
in the fact that everything is steeped in whiteness. That's our norm. Mm. That's how we operate. And so when you're swimming in that water also, you don't recognize it as a white person because mm -hmm. this is just how we do things. And it's not an attack on whiteness. I'm not even saying anything is wrong with whiteness, but how do we get to this place of being okay with the both and? If I wanna show up in whiteness, fine, but if I show up another way, that's okay too. Something that is more comfortable or, or, or tuned to my cultural way of being. And that's what, you know, the whole thing around, especially working with educators, is how do you get racially conscious and recognize that when kids show up who don't want to be competitive, when kids show up who, you know, don't want to work as individuals but want to work in, in groups or, you know, collectivism, when kids show mm -hmm. up these kind of ways, that's okay too. And so we just have to get to a place where you know, we're accepting of regardless of how people show up, which is what the United States was supposed to be in the first place, you know, everybody that's coming together, so to speak, you know, uh, we're supposed to be based on this beauty of all these different ways, but it's really not. It's about, you know, when you think about melting pot, it, it is, how does everybody meld into this one way of being? And that's in whiteness. And so when people are fighting back or resisting that, then that becomes an issue. That becomes a, a, a problem. And so something else you mentioned, Adriana, was this idea of, I think it was when you mentioned privilege, of your own privilege in not having to think about race or talk about race as, as, as often or because you didn't have to. And I think that happens within other races and cultures too, because I think about, you know, my experience as a black person is, is different than a lot of other people's experiences as a black person. Wherein when we think about maybe socioeconomics or whatever, and how my family grew up, even though it was in Mississippi, it was a different experience than some other folks. And so there was a, a disconnect in a lot of ways for me about how a lot of people were living race. And it did become kind of like you, this journey toward really starting to recognize it doesn't matter who my dad is or how smart I am or any of that, I'm still black. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I'm gonna, you know, that's gonna be my experience in this world. And so, um, but again, it, it all is along that, that journey. And so we've all got to, to go along there. And, and I know now that part of my work is going to be taking, you know, Lena along on hers <laughs> and get her out of this place of guilt. <laughs> so she can start working on her folks. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I already am signed up for, um, we had a previous guest who does anti-racism, well, with Adriana, anti-racism consult groups nice. for therapists, so signed up for that. So I'm just, I'll sign up. I mean, it's COVID, <laughs> where else am I going to be, you know? <laughs> but I was just thinking while you were talking about, like, this sense of culture and, you know, when the the view of the U.S. is that it's a melting pot that it all gets melted into one and I think that 
a lot of times when white folks like try to buy their way into these cultural experiences, uh, which happens all the time, right? It's like we actually miss the boat on what all the different variations within that culture are. So like, for example, like I, my parents put me in Spanish classes starting when I was 12, right? But most of my Spanish teachers in middle school, high school were um, from Spain. And there was like one from Argentina, right? Which if you speak Spanish, that is a very different accent set <laughs> than, you know, now I live in California. And when I first moved here, I was like, oh, shit, I don't speak Spanish like these people do. Like, <laughs> you know, because most of the folks here are from Mexico or Central America. It's very different Spanish, right? But I very ignorantly thought when I first moved here, like, oh, I speak Spanish, right? But it was like, oh, I don't really speak Spanish at all. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, I, <laughs> so, like, I had to really learn over time. And I'm, like, finally at the point where I can, like, differentiate accents. But it's still, it's still really a struggle. Um, but, I, but I remember just being in those classes and there were other kids in the class who would treat it like a joke right you know there were kids who would like purposefully not um use an accent when they were talking or like mm -hmm. we would go on these field trips to uh different restaurants like from you know different latin latinx or spanish cuisine and like you know they would be funny and like say inappropriate things like to the waiters in spanish and stuff and you know i it just i'm thinking back on that i'm like you know it, a lot of times I think in white circles because there's like there is not really a white culture it's like real culture is so like missed I think you know like mm -hmm. it's so it's not really like I wasn't real like I didn't really experience culture in a full authentic way for a lot of my early life because like what what was exposed to me as culture was like it was just like a an experience right it was like a I buy a ticket to this show and I get the show and then I can like go home and it was like I wasn't actually really maybe shown all the different variations or like really taught a lot about what it meant you know because this the the school that I went to like you know I don't think they were doing the work a lot of the teachers there you know right um not to like harsh on these particular teachers or anything, you know, like I think again, it was like well intended, but it wasn't really fully like consciously developed for, mm -hmm. for us to be able to fully understand. Right. And, and I think about how you named, you know, that your Spanish teachers were from Spain and how do we, how do people look at Spain versus Mexico mm -hmm. and the hierarchy there? And the Castilians, you know, Spanish versus, you know, where that the Spanish that's spoken in, in Latin America. And mm -hmm. again, there's a, a, a hierarchy in that whole thing around around race. And, mm -hmm. you know, I just think even think of just language period and you know, where someone who is speaking Spanish is seen as less than than someone who learns French. Mm -hmm. or or you know latin or german and all of this how even culture gets racialized it's just it's 
it's crazy the way this whole thing plays <laughs> out. And it's just, it makes me even think about, you know, one of the things I talk about in my seminar is this idea of how these narratives get created. And I was, you know, where we are talking about race, but we're not talking about race. And one of the things I point out is the idea when we were talking about the wall and protecting borders. And we only talk of there are two borders to this country, but we only talk about a border on mm -hmm. the southern side. And mm -hmm. what do people look like on the southern side? That's where our brown brothers and sisters are. Mm -hmm. Northern side, white. We we're not talking about protecting the northern side. So again, what does what does race have to do with this? And people in yeah. Don't get okay. <laughs> we can go on. I know, I know, I know. And how this whole thing plays out. And and you know, the thing about talking about race, because you mentioned, you know, folks weren't that conscious, is people get so uncomfortable just when it comes up. But what we have to do is get people to recognize that it's because you haven't been doing it. It's like anything else. You have to practice it. You have to build the muscle to do it. Mm -hmm. And how do you get comfortable being uncomfortable? And and that's the thing about it. And but what comes up for a lot of folks is they wanna substitute discomfort for safety. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why you have a lot of what you're seeing in the media right now with the the phone calls to the police of a black man is threatening me mm -hmm. when someone's trying to engage because I'm uncomfortable. You're mm -hmm. not being threatened. And, 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 and when you interchange those words, people are dying, you know, because of it, because I feel uncomfortable. I'm saying, oh, I feel safe. I'm being attacked. I'm being threatened. But you're just uncomfortable because someone's making you face the reality of your, your privilege, your entitlement, your, um, your, your, your biases that you already have within you. And so, the reaction and the response is, you know, I'm not getting my way as I'm used to getting. And so now I'm calling for, mm -hmm. for backup, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that's entitlement. Mm -hmm. That's whiteness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know I went all the way around. I don't know how I ended up with that when we started on. <laughs> Sorry about that. There's a lot in this topic. Yeah. No, yeah. there's a lot. We can we can definitely talk for hours, and uh, we won't because it's Sunday, and I'm sure we we want to we want to do other things. But this is so important. I can definitely talk about this on like a part two, uh, part <laughs> like a three part series. We can definitely or a whole dive other podcast, it. yeah, or a whole other podcast. Let's like, just start a second podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sure. We got time for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. add something else add something else no I think it's I think that's the piece I was going to kind of maybe we could kind of um it was a good it was a good like segue to thinking about the work and how it can be uncomfortable and how I think it probably should be uncomfortable right like I don't think we should expect it to be like roses and strawberries and rainbows and stuff it's a, it's gonna feel <laughs> weird it's gonna mm -hmm. feel weird until it doesn't maybe I, but you can't you got to start somewhere right and so what might you say uh Lori I think like as an elevator speech I guess of um mm -hmm. like 
for folks that are listening and are saying like, wow, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Cause now, um, now they might be seeing things that they can't unsee. And so, but I, they want, you know, people want to lean into this work. I think for the most part, I have known a lot of people that are just unsure about it or the whole like all or nothing kind of thing, right? The idea that we have to do, do it exactly right and what that right. means to do it right. And so I think staying away from that is important. But right. for folks who are struggling to lean into this work and being in that uncomfortable uh, space around, um, you know, race, conver- conversations around race and, you know, doing the personal work. I don't know, like what, what might you say to someone who wants to like take step one or step, step two or whatever? Um, right. right. Well, the, the, the one thing you mentioned that I definitely want to say is stop trying to be perfect in this work. There is no perfection. You know, we're all going to mess up. Even people like me who do this work every day, there are going to be times when I mess up. But what we have to do is give ourselves and others some grace, you know, and recognize that when they mess up or when you mess up, the work becomes, how do I just repair that? What is it that I need to do to go back and repair? We've got to show some vulnerability. We've got to be okay with apologizing. We've got to get to this place of, 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 Dr. Robin DiAngelo talks about intent over impact. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people like to say, well, that's not what I was intending to do, but it's beyond that. It's how did it land? How did it impact people? And so it's just about how do you repair that? Because this work is about how do I just connect with people again as, as humans, you know, and not prejudging or discriminating based on what people look like. And so the thing about discomfort is just like what you're saying, you know, if we're talking about race in an honest and forthright way, there's going to be discomfort. We have a very ugly history around race in this country. And so, you know, we, the, the more we do it, like I, I, I said about the lifting weights, the more you lift weights, you know, when you first start it's sore, you're like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. But the more you continue to do it, the bigger your muscles get, the more comfortable you are with that discomfort. And so that's the same thing, but it starts with what are the first things that I can do? And so how do I begin my own learning process? You know, there are a million things out there for people to read. And it's also important to connect with some type of you know, learning where it doesn't just become what I'm sitting here reading, because if I don't have a conscious lens, then I can read that and still go off the rails, you know, in my own lack of consciousness. And so how do I connect in some way with some deeper um, understanding and, and engaging with some people or even thinking about who are the folks that I am talking to? If white people don't have people of color in their lives, that's part of the problem right there. Got to start getting outside of that comfort zone and know someone in your life who is a person of color, Um, a conscious person of color. Let me add that too, because there are a lot of people of color who are deep into assimilation and their own internalized work and that they need to do. And so, 
how do I start to engage with folks? But I, I'll name it like this. You need to educate yourself, first of all. You need to uh, engage, you know, in some type of way when you see things playing out. You need to... Uh, you need to empower yourselves. How can you show up in such a way where you don't continue to, to, to beat yourself up around not doing something or, or, or not doing enough, you know? And, and, and it's so important that each of us as individuals, again, I go back and neither one of you are old enough to remember this. Uh, there used to be a commercial that was a, a shampoo commercial and what it said at the the end it was like pictures of people and they would say and you tell two friends and you tell two friends and you tell two <laughs> friends and it would just you know continue to you know grow and expand and and that's how you know you would you would continue to, I, I guess I'll just say continue to, to, to grow the work in that way. And so that's what I always tell folks. I'm, I'm doing work not just with organizations. What I've gotten lately are a lot of community groups, mm -hmm. uh, moms groups who want to have the conversation. So information is out there. It's just about people really deciding that they have a willingness to lean in and find it out. And I know I started with my four E's and I didn't finish them. Let me finish my four E's. So again, <laughs> I told you I was ADHD. It's all right. I was following you. Okay. So I was how, too. Do I, how do I engage? How do I engage? So, so trying to figure out a way that, you know, when I see things happening, you know, what is it? When you see something, say something. Or, or do something, and, you know, and sometimes it's just about putting a pause in the discourse. It's not even that I've got to do some astronomical thing, just how do I interrupt, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a small way, just enough to make people reflect on what's coming up for them. You know, and one of the things that I say, and people can use so quickly is, uh, Lee Moon Wah teaches this idea of mindful inquiry, and I'm sure you all use it as therapists. You know, what I heard you say was, tell me more about what you meant by that. You know, and sometimes people just need to stop and reflect. And you might not change someone's mind, but at least they have to pause in the moment and reflect on what it is that they just shared or what, the, what, what they said, what joke they told, whatever. So we want people to engage. We want them to continue to educate themselves. What is it that I need to learn? You know, what books do I need to read? What podcasts do I need to listen to? What videos do I need to watch? And there's so much out there available uh, for people to, to really start to, to dig in and, and create their own learning action plan. Uh, how do people start to experience? And when I say experience, I'm just basically getting at, again, getting outside of that comfort zone and going into spaces that you know require you to be a, a bit vulnerable in, in spaces where people of color reside. Go, people, you know, in, in in a lot of these districts that I work in that are very white. I'm like, all you gotta do is cross a bridge. All you gotta do is drive through a tunnel. There's lots of people that look like me that are there. 
Go to restaurants, get your kids engaged in activities in these places. Because it's so important that we start to raise racially conscious white kids. If we want to interrupt this, this cycle, you know, how do we start to talk to our own white children about race? And that's a huge impact on how things play out. Mm-hmm. And then the last E I'll say is be extraordinary. You know, and and that's not even something that has to be this huge thing. I often think about this thing that happened with, um, what's her name, Bree Tyson, who climbed the pole to bring down the Confederate flag in one Mm -hmm. of the Carolinas. But there was this, Bree Newsom, I'm sorry, but there was this guy, James Tyson, who was a white guy, who just kind of stepped in there almost as if, you know, he is, shielding her from the police and not in an aggressive way, but just really showing up as a co-conspirator. And he talked about how black Americans need to see white Americans really put some skin in the game. Mm -hmm. So when people talk about allyship, I say it's easy to be an ally because all I got to say is, you know, I support this, I'm down with this or whatever, but how do I really show up as a co-conspirator? You know, I need somebody who's willing to stand in there and really fight this fight with me, who is willing to use their voice where maybe mine gets negated, my story or whatever gets shut down. How do you really show up with all the power and privilege that comes with whiteness and really interrupt how these systems continue to play out? That's what I need in my life. And so, you know, I think those are just some of the ways that people can really you know, step in and 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 really be true to the game uh, when it comes to to disrupting, you know, racism. And so, if if there are like resources that people need, of course, I can share with you all, and you can make available to your listeners. But yeah, it's so much folks can do right now. So much. I was yeah. a lot. Sorry, y'all. Sorry. No, no, that was I, like. <laughs> That yeah, I know sometimes we it's we just never know what what comes out of our conversations with our guests and and because this is not scripted, you know, Lena and I are like just sometimes just processing it and just this like, is just like <laughs> yeah, you know, so I think that's what that's what that pause was. It was like it was very valuable uh information you just shared and kind of like a really amazing uh ending to this this episode and um i would love to know what those resources are to share if you have anything specific but i can reach out to you later and we can post it on our instagram um where we have like people following um yeah this has just been such a such a cool conversation to have with you Lori. i just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast i you know i i really appreciate your your time to educate us and uh talk with us about this you know i definitely uh feel really just yeah um like i got i got a lot out of this and so yeah i mean there's a lot of resources out there like you said but where can people find you if they are like that's the resource that i want so i want to hear more of what she has to say (laughs) so so people can uh my website is race dash work dot com um and they can reach me through that you know i've got some info on there about the different type of services i offer and even some of that can be customized to how people want to do the work so definitely reach out to me there um 
yeah, loving this work. Always ready to to step in and and again help facilitate people along their personal journey because this is about all of us. Again, it's the greater good, you know. And so, how do we do this work together, interdependently? That's what it's going to require. So I, I I'll just again say thank you all for having me. This has been amazing. This was really cool. Um, <laughs> You know, whenever you all want to connect, let me know. I have enjoyed my Sunday morning, but uh, <laughs> I am ready to eat. Yes, <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. Um, so thank you. Thanks, Lori. Um, we appreciate you so, so much. And uh, yeah, with that, thank we'll you. close out. Thanks. All right. Thanks, ladies. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. If you like what you heard, follow us on Instagram at I Feel you Pod. That's the letter U. Or you can email us at hello at ifeelyoupod.com. Again, that's the letter U. The music on I Feel You is from Thanks. You can find them on SoundCloud at THNX or Instagram at THNX Music. See you next time. Bye. Bye.